Hello, and welcome to SFF Reverse Shot. I'm Sydney Film Festival Director Nishen Mudli. Each episode, we'll look back to the festival's archives to revisit our favorite filmmaker talks, hot topic panels, and thought-provoking Q&As. You'll hear from Australian and international filmmakers, plus actors and expert curators, on how they got their start, their career highlights, and the films that changed their lives. The darkly funny feminist revenge tale, Judy and Punch, played in the official competition at Sydney Film Festival in 2019. At the festival, director Mira Folks, producers Michelle Bennett and Nash Edgerton, and cast members Mia Wasikowska and Damon Herriman sat down with Sandy George for a lively Q&A. You'll learn what inspired the unique script and how the actors prepared for their roles. Plus, why working with a dog and sausages was a tremendous challenge on set. Please enjoy. Language warning. This episode contains strong language. down such a treat. So, I'm going to introduce them. Um, closest to me is Mira Folks, who was the writer-director. Um, it's her first feature, and she's made three fab shorts, and she looks familiar, not because she lives next door, but because she's always on our tellies in fantastic um, TV series. So, thanks for being here. Um, next to Mira is Nash Edgerton, who I call Nash of all trades. Um, he's got as many directing credits as he has producing. He's one of the three producers on the film. And he also acts, and he also saves a lot of actors from um, Broken Bones, because he's got a, over 100 credits as a stunty, despite being tall. Um, next to Nash is Michelle Bennett who is a producer as well on this film. Um, she's currently making the second series of Mr Inbetween for Foxtel. And um, there's only one other thing to say about Michelle. We all love her because she pushed Chopper into production and made it such a great film. So thank you, Michelle, for being here. Um, next to Michelle, of course, is Mia Vaz... Vaz- See, I was going to change it from Wazakoska <laughs> to Wazakoska and I've stuffed it up, sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Um, she's Judy in the film, of course. Um, she has just had an amazing career. I'd take up the whole hour if I went right into it, but in treatment and um, Alice in Wonderland and our own tracks and just heaps of really diverse roles. And she's also directed and written herself. So let's hope she goes that way. Um, And next to Mia is Damon Herriman. He's only spent 40 years on our screens, that's all. Um, He used to be a good guy, but he seems to be working on letting the evil bastard part of him come out. Um, And it doesn't matter how much I insult him tonight because he's got a silver logie on his um, mantelpiece, so he'll get over it. So the way today is going to work is I'm going to ask a lot of questions and then I'm going to throw it open to you guys. And, of course, I'm going to start with um, Mira. I'll get Nash to explain how this film actually came about. Um, just for the moment, I think it suffice to say that the story was handed to you. Someone asked you to make this story. So what did you do from there? I um, panicked. <laughs> When it came to me, it was a very broad, general idea of what about we make a, a, um, a live-action Punch and Judy story. Um, and Vice um, in the States, uh, particularly Danny Gavai, who Nash and I had a relationship with through our short films, and uh, Danny just really... I guess he saw something in the shorts that he liked, and he was looking for... Um, what people who he felt were kind of bold and unique voices um, to to develop films with um, for the new Vice feature. Um, um, And so we sort of sat down and had a very sort of um, general meeting about what it could be, what it might be. And I guess now that in retrospect, I look back on it, it that was probably the the meeting where I was supposed to pitch, but I didn't because I didn't know what I was doing and I I thought they're not going to offer me the job. I haven't done anything. I'd never written a screenplay. And so I just sort of sat there and crossed my arms and nodded a few times. And then at the end of the meeting, they offered me the job, which was... (laughs) kind of bonkers but um I and so I went home and cried for about a week <laughs> um and I didn't know what to do I didn't know what I was doing um and 
I live with a couple of screenwriters. Um, me and my boyfriend David spend a lot of time in LA and we live with Luke Davies, an Australian screenwriter. Dave is also uh, um, writes, and so I had a lot of support around me and everyone was sort of saying, look, don't panic, you'll figure it out, we'll help you, you know, you can do it. And, and then I, I basically kind of made the, the rookie mistake of, of going about it totally ass about. I opened a final draft document and I just started writing in a panic and I didn't think about structure, I didn't think about themes, I didn't think about what it should be or how I was going to crack it. I just wrote in a panic. Um, but weirdly, out of the first kind of few weeks of panic, a lot of the sort of uh, the characters were cemented, a lot of the worlds, like the kind of the heretics camp, for example, I was just like, oh, maybe there's some heretics and they live in a camp. And blah, blah. So that sort of spitballing um, sort of panicked stuff, while it was not very constructive in terms of the most economical way to write, uh, and I'll never do it again, it was, it was sort of interesting the way it informed the rest of the film, and I was really loose and free, and Vice were, really encouraged me to just kind of go mad with it. They, um, uh, you know, to their credit, at every turn, every uh, crappy draft I handed in, they were like, mm, it's not there yet, but just go further, be bold, you know, so they sort of stuck with me, and yeah. As I told you last week, I was profoundly ignorant about the traditions of Punch and Judy, and I wonder how much research you did, how much what you learned was like a great framework, or was it sort of restricting, and what are the traditions of Judy and Punch that the people in the room may not know? I mean, well, from the very get-go, I wanted to make a film that, that would, would play well to someone who didn't have any um, kind of pre-existing knowledge of, of Punch and Judy. That was, that was um, uh, important to me. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I dove into the, to the whole history of sort of, um, of puppets through Europe, basically, and Judy and Punch originated... Punch and Judy originated in, um, in Italy through Commedia dell'arte and the Punchinello character, and then it came um, through to, uh, to the UK and... It was huge in the mid 17th century as, as marionettes in Covent Garden. Um, right at that time, when theatre was starting to explode again, and um, and then I, you know, and then it gets a little, I get a little bit messy on where it went from there because basically, to me, it gets less interesting. <laughs> it sort of felt to me as though there was this sort of slow devolution away from these beautiful marionette puppets and towards this kind of rudimentary hand puppets, which I, I don't find especially kind of compelling. And so was, that's, that's why I decided to take it back and set it in, um, in 17th century, because I, I wanted to have marionettes. I didn't want to kind of just be doing a film about that. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I so forgot the, the second part of, of the, the question. The, which traditions of Judy and Punch did you feel you wanted and which did you throw out or maybe didn't throw out any? Well, there's not sort of a whole lot to hold on to, to be honest. I mean, it's basically this sort of this weird assembly of stock characters and I, I, I wanted them to all be present somehow in the movie. Um, you know, the crocodile's in there, the devil's in there, the maid is in there, the policeman uh, and the dog the sausages and so all of those things became like a kind of framework for how to and and then and then I kind of really didn't feel like I had to um um do anything other than create what would be a sort of standalone um film that could function in and of itself and be uh you know uh, fun first and foremost but then have all of those obvious kind of political undertones sitting underneath it because it's sort of you know I think everyone um, the minute they think about Punch and Judy they think about the violence and they think about the misogynism and they think about how is it that this weird thing has uh, has kind of um, stayed with us as a tradition and as a tradition for, for children in more recently, but less so now. I think it's a bit, you know, it's, a, it's a lot tamer now. I don't know if Punch beats his wife so brutally anymore in Brighton by the seaside. I don't know, maybe someone's been to see a show recently and they can, <laughs> they can prove me wrong, but yeah. yeah. This is a Sunday and there's no turn the other cheek in this film, is there? It's revenge and retaliation. And I just wonder how you thought about that though. Like, like, were you thinking about it in terms of the domestic violence? Were you thinking about it in terms of violence in society? Were you trying to get under, like, where violence comes from? Are there things that you think you've just decided about why society is so violent, if you let it be? Yeah. Can you talk around that? Mm. Um, I, I think the most interesting thing for me was this... Um, 
the, the history of violence in popular culture was really interesting for me. And, you know, uh, more often than not, that's directed towards women. Um, so the gender stuff, um, it was almost sort of secondary to, to what I was fascinated with was this sort of our, our relationship to, and throughout, you know, from gladiatorial times, which is why there's a sneaky little gladiator quote there in the movie, <laughs> through to, to contemporary times, um, how, that, um, how that manifests in sport, how it manifests in cinema, how it manifests in theatre. I was really, I was curious about that. Um, and, you know, I was curious about this idea of Punch being a character that, um, that um, this notion of, of, of um, the ad addiction to to the fame of it and to the adoration and how how someone with charisma um, can can be so convincing even when they're saying completely absurd things. You know, I mean, the character that Tom Budge plays in the movie, Mr. Frankly, the kind of self-appointed town mayor, I kind of find it fascinating. You get someone as fun and out there as Tom up there performing these, like, ridiculous speeches where he's, like, you know, going, going through the three witches and listing these, like, bonkers sort of nothing crimes and I, I just love that idea about how you you know and how that translates to contemporary politics in mm. terms of people people being able to weirdly convince the masses based on you know dubious claims if they're, if they're charismatic and sometimes if they're really not charismatic they seem to be able to do that too <laughs> the film is so interesting tonally like it's hard not to think about the scene where the baby doesn't just fall out the window it <laughs> flies out the window and then we're faced with such a violent scene soon after i just wonder how well whether it's possible to put tone into the script or is that more the communication and conversation you have with the cast and crew after that's, a, that's an interesting question and maybe one that someone else is, um, would answer better because I'm not sure I tried to, to put tone into the script. I was very aware of what, you know, you know I was very specifically wanting to, to create a, um, um, a, an environment where you think you're in one thing and then suddenly you're in something else, you know. And I love it when people laugh at the baby out the window and I love it when people say, oh, I felt so bad but I laughed. I'm like, well, yeah, this is great. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoy that in cinema where I think I'm in, in one thing and suddenly I'm kind of, you know, and I don't know how I'm supposed to be and that was, that was kind of very intentional. I, I think I tried to give a sense of that um, that tone in the script, but whether or not um, that was effective, I don't know. I mean, maybe, Nash? I'll say, well, for me, having known you for a long time and knowing your sense of humour, I totally could see the tone in the film because, you know, one, I love your sense of humour and it's very dark and uh, so for me it was, but, you know, maybe for you guys... Um, you know, I know Damon very much noticed that, you know, loved the tone and... <laughs> Mia me, me, hated the tone. She doesn't want to talk about it. No, she I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I, I, no, I thought it was completely um, clear in the script. Uh, I, I, and I don't think that that was through knowing Mira beforehand. I just think it, it was... I mean, anyone who read this script... Uh, nearly everyone who read this script that I've ever spoken to says it's one of the best script, the scripts they've ever read. It's an incredible read. And, and, you know, it's not that often you get to read a script that blows you away like that, that knocks your socks off. And this was just like such a page turner and so different. And um, I think in lesser hands, it would have been a tonal mess because you shouldn't be able to have absurd comedic moments and characters like, the mayor and then a horrific beating all in the one film. But uh, somehow Mira was able to create a, a film that felt completely, to me reading it, um, the one film that with consistent tone, even though uh, some scenes were clearly more absurd or more comedic and then others completely horrific. And then some like the baby going out the window are somewhere in between. But um, it never felt reading it like, oh boy, this she really hasn't decided what she wants this to be. It just didn't feel like that. And I, I guess that comes down to the skill of how well written it is. Mia, what did you think when you read the script? Um, I mean, that's what I loved about it originally when I first read it. It was just, um, it was so unusual and I love stories that you can't quite relax into one thing when it and then it becomes predictable. So it was just constantly changing yeah, I guess tone and humour and then darkness and mixing all those emotions, which I think are really true of 
of life, like our life. Um, there's so many constantly, you know, confusing kind of feelings. Um, so I, I thought it was brilliant and I just, yeah, I, I also thought it was hilarious and it's harder to find films, I think, that are really, really funny as well. Um, it's, I think, much easier to, to make and, and I get sent more dramas and then to find comedies that feel great and not just sort of silly and also have an emotional resonance is kind of harder, I think, and I just loved how Mira combined it both. In a way, you were the only sane character in the entire film. <laughs> in a way, when I think about it. So did you feel, feel like you had to play it straight with all the chaos around you? Or did you have, I don't know, when you go into a film, this might be a really stupid question, do you have like a mantra for each film where you just, if I hang on to this one thing, it'll be all right? Or? Yeah, I was sort of talking about that this morning with my, my brother and friends, that it, it is quite... Um, in hindsight, it's really hard, hard to know. I probably didn't think about it that much. I don't like to think too much about, you know, what to do. I like to work a lot from instinct. But um, I, I feel like the best comedy is when you can play things straight and naturally and it's still funny. And, and I felt like everything that was funny was already in the script. And especially for my character, there wasn't anything that um, I wanted to play other than what she was feeling in each moment. And, um, and I guess, yeah, I, I, Judy in this movie is probably more the, um, your reference for reality or, or the audience's kind of reference for reality. And um, I think hopefully that's one thing that makes it work is that you see the ridiculousness that surrounds her and then you're really rooting for um, her to, to get through it and, and one for of my others to... favourite moments, I just was watching it last night and realised that one of my favourite moments is that just tiny little kind of eye flick you do in the crowd when the women are about to get stoned. And, and <laughs> someone pointed out to me last night, they love the, the, the moment where the baby just puts its hand on the rock yeah. and you're just kind of doing this and it's just, well, you no, know, it's just beautifully know subtle. But it's on. like, yes. <laughs> yeah. The baby was amazing. <laughs> I mean, in the movie. Yeah. Um, I think my favourite moment was you on that black horse. There's something about women on the, those horse, those sort of horses. But anyway, let's move on. Um, so... <laughs> I know this is such a worn-out question, but how did you prepare yourself for the role? Uh, I, I mean, the more films I do, the more I, I don't want to prepare too much. I mean, I love, like, to prepare in the simplest ways that I can anyway, like, know my lines really well and, and um, we, you know, you get so much from the creative people around you and costume designers and production design and all that sort of informs your character and um, I feel like we had a two-week um, rehearsal period where we sort of learned about puppets and read the scripts through and, um, you, you know, prepared You learned some magic. Learned some magic, which is a highlight. I loved that. You were so good at that. And then we cut all your magic tricks. We spent ages learning these really, like, coins uh, and sleight of hand, yeah. really beautiful little... And, of course, it was the first to go. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, after. Um, but, yeah, it was great. And then, I, you know, you know that no matter how much you prepare when you're on set doing the scene, it's all going to be flipped upside down anyway. So I want to be able to do what I can to make myself feel really comfortable and confident so that you can kind of take all the blows on the day. And, um, yes, I feel like that's the best way I prepare. I don't tend to do too much kind of nitty-gritty research anymore just because I'm lazy as well. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that bit. Nash. Yeah. So... Most Australian filmmakers doing their first film really struggle to get the film up. So yeah. how come Mira got this just like shoved at her on a plate? Well, I don't know if she got it shoved at her on a plate. Um, look, you know, uh, Danny Gabai, who was at Vice, I'd, I was, you know, I'd known him for a long time. I was on a, I was acting in a sh this weird short film that was shooting in LA and he was there and he'd left he was working as an agent and then he'd started, he'd left that and started working at Vice and he was financing this short film and told me that they had this YouTube channel and they were putting short films on it and he said, oh, I should put some of yours on there and so he ended up, you know, 
paying me a little bit of money to put my short film Spider and Bear on and Mirrors in Spider. And uh, after you put those on there, and then Mira made her first short film, Dumpy Goes to the Big Smoke, which I ended up editing with her. And I called Danny and I was like, you know, uh, you know Mira, who's in Spider, she's just made this great short, and you guys should put that on your YouTube channel and give her some money, you know. <laughs> and he saw it and really loved it, and, and so he did. And then, you know, then she made another one, and I was like, Mira's made another short, you should put that on there too, you know. And, uh, and he did. And, and then, uh, yeah, then one day I was talking to him and he said, hey, we've got this idea for a film and do you think Mira would be interested in writing it? And I just said, yes, she would. <laughs> you should call her, you know. Um, and I just sort of threw, threw her under the, bus. under the bus to do it, you know. But I just was like, yeah, she should. Like, they should, you know, pay her some money to write. And, you know, and, and to be fair, you know, what you said before that, you know, they handed her this story. They didn't hand her a story. They handed her an idea for a film, which was make a live action Punch and Judy show, a Punch and Judy film. Um, the story came completely out of the brain sitting next to me. Mm. Um, so, you know, and what, I think what was beautiful about the film, why it's so fucking crazy and awesome is that Mira went into writing it with no notion that she would be the director. So she just, you know, it wasn't like going into it with any restrictions whatsoever of like what she thought she was capable of. It's just like, what could, what could this film be? And uh, even early on, I remember we did a reading at a friend's house in LA with you and me and uh, I think my brother and Claire Vanderboom and Spencer and like just reading that early version of it and we couldn't help ourselves but put on voices as we were doing it and it was really just fun and um but you know it just uh you know so she'd written this great script and then at some point it you know I think the more you know she fell in love with the idea that she'd created then it you know we were like you should be directing this and Vice was like do you think she could direct it and I'm like fuck yeah she could direct it <laughs> you know um you know uh and then it just became a matter of like, well, how are we going to get the movie up, you know? And they, they sort of went down this path and then, um, you know, they called me one day and said they had a little bit of money from Italy and, but you're not sure it was enough yet and they could make, maybe make it in Europe. And, and I was like, well, have you guys thought about making it in Australia? Like, let's just see if the location's there. There's like this whole gender matters thing happening with Screen Australia. Mira's made these three shorts now that have won, you know, won a bunch of awards. So like... The funding bodies are going to know who she is. And, you know, this is feminist revenge tale. It's a fucking killer script. And if we can find the locations here, let's see if it can happen here. I, th I said there's more chance we'll get the money up here quicker than anywhere else. And so then, you know, I said, you know, this Oz film in L.A. will help, you know, films find locations. So let's just see if there's somewhere to find it. And so then we need to do a budget. And then I... You know, and I said, you know, they were asking me to be a producer on the film and, like, you know, I have skills to a point, but I said, we need, like, a real producer <laughs> like Michelle. And, you know, and, I, and, and having worked with Michelle a lot and knowing... And I also know Michelle has a very dark sense of humour as well. Which, uh, and I just, I just had this feeling that these two together would work really well. And they, they'd met, but they hadn't worked together. And I, you know, and so I kept saying to Mira, I think, you know you and Michelle should, you know, do this together. And, and so I said, when they needed someone to do a budget, I thought this is the way to, like, get everyone to get to know Michelle. So Michelle, you know, agreed to help do this budget. And, I, you know, I had a feeling she would fall in love with the script as well. And, and I knew, I, you know, look, like I said, I, you know, I can bring some people together and I knew I could help when we were shooting and everything. But, you know, uh, you know my producerial skills... Uh, have a, you know, I'm still learning how to do this stuff. And, you know, I, and I learned so much by working with Michelle, but like she was like the one that held this thing together for all of us. I think we should let Michelle speak. But before we do, can you just, the, the, the Blue Tongue brand is on the film. Can you just give the audience a quick, quick rundown of what the Blue Tongue brand is? Well, look, you know, it's, Blue Tongue Films is like this collective of 
friends, you know, we've all known each other a long time. Mira, myself, my brother, David Michaud, Spencer Sosa, Luke Doolin, Sean Crack, um, and Kieran Darcy-Smith. And we all, you know, we all started out making short films together, you know, around the same time. And we would just help each other out on each other's shorts, you know, like whether someone was directing them, others would act in it or edit it or, you know, me do stunts on it and you know, just in whatever capacity. And there was something that was happening at the time when we were doing it that made you just not feel alone. Because we were all just learning and, and trying to work out how to do these things. And the fact that our friends were making them too. And it was weird, there wasn't like this competitive thing about it. It was all very supportive and, you know, it was like this feeling of, oh, if, if my friends can do it, then maybe I can do it. Mm. And, you know, so you wanted each person's film to be really great. And if they did really great, then maybe the next thing you made was really great. Mm. And somehow it's just worked. It's like, it's very loose. There's nothing very formal about it. We just have, you know, and it's continued. Like, you know, and not everyone's always available to help in each other's films, but, you know, we watch each other's films. And I think we're better at, early on, like, we give each other feedback and we were very brutal with each other and, like, hurt each other's feelings. And, and I think as we've, grown and gotten older we're a lot more diplomatic with that stuff but like I truly love my friends who I get to make films with and mm. you know recently we were um you know one stage I, you know I was in Budapest helping out on David's film The King and you know Spencer was visiting there and I was there and Joel was there and um Dave and then Adam Alcabal who shot it who'd shot a lot of our shorts early on and um and it was just like, wow, we're getting all to hang out in like other countries and make things together. And it was kind of like the same thing as when we started out making stuff, but there was like suddenly all these other people there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't quite know why it works or how it works, but it, works. it does. Yeah. Mira, before we do go to Michelle, you are the only female member of this collective and what is it like being with all those boy germs? <laughs> I like poor germs. <laughs> it's, never, it, it's interesting because I, you know, I started acting in all the shorts with those guys and um, I had no intentions to direct at that point. And they were the ones that were hassling me. They're like, you should make a short, you should make a short. Um, and I never felt like the only woman, in, you know, and I wasn't officially a member until I'd made some, some stuff and I was directing and then I was officially indoctrinated into it. But, um, you know, they feel like um, you know, they're, they're my mates, they're really good at what they do, they're all more experienced than I I am and I've never sort of um, thought about it that much other than I'm grateful to kind of have them around. So, yeah. yeah. Michelle. <laughs> so when you came on board, what were the first few things that you did for Judy and Punch? I read the script, um, which was brilliant and um, uh, just so impressive and, you know, unique, original. And then I just had to work out how it could, you know, be pulled together. Um, 17th century, um, European, set in Europe, and I'm um, just trying to, you know, work out how we could find all of the locations in here. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, budgeted, and we um, then went through the process of... Um, uh, you know, working out how to pull all the rest of the, the financing together. But the first thing was really us, you know, Mira and I went looking at, um, looking for locations and down to Victoria and, you know, there were places that were almost right. Um, I think Monsalbat was the, we felt fairly con confident yeah, about. Yeah, that was sort of the moment for me where I went, oh, maybe we can do this. Because up yeah. until that point, I was like, I hated the idea of shooting in Australia. Retrospectively, I'm really glad we did. But, um, yeah, well, I just didn't think we could find the locations. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing there that's complete that, that looks, you know, right, that's it, that's Europe. It's always going to have, it needs some enhancement in some form or another with visual effects. or So there was a, a big leap of faith, I think, in... Um, Envisage, envisaging how it was all uh, going to look and um, but it, it's such a, a, a great script and Mira is so um, eloquent and articulate in pitching it um, that we were you, you know we're fortunate to get the support of the um, funding bodies here Screen Australia and um, Film Victoria and Create New South Wales 
Um, Vice were incredibly, you know, I mean, they're uh, big fans of Mirrors and Nash's, so completely backed it all the way and were very encouraging of Mirror going bold with it. And um, um, it was... For me, it was the the shortest sort of process in pulling a film together. It was amazing, um, really, and I felt very blessed to be handed something that was just so complete and, and inspiring and exciting to to make. It was, um, it's just, it all, it, I f felt like it was just meant to be, this film. It was, uh, I mean, I th I'm sure there were times when we were filming that... <laughs> That, you know, Mira probably didn't feel that way. It was just fast and furious, a six-week week shoot with, um, you know, stunts and weather and hundreds of extras and dogs and... And Damon can talk about dogs and working with dogs and babies in the first week of the shoot. And Mira, it was hell, wasn't it? It was. It was, it was really, really tough. But I look back now and, like I said, when Nash first raised the idea of shooting it in Australia, I was like, this just doesn't make sense. I, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Shut up. Um, and, then, and then I met Michelle and really kind of wanted to make it work with Michelle, but I was still really hesitant about the idea um, and yeah then we, we started kind of um, you, start, you start to reimagine it as well based on what you do have and it made sense financially and oh, what I was going to say was looking back there was so many challenges about the shoot it was so tough on so many levels I think if I had have been in Bulgaria or Romania doing it with a whole bunch of people I didn't know it would have been almost impossible uh, you know because I had, we, I had so many people around me that I'd worked with before and I knew and loved and yeah yeah, like one of the reasons I encouraged doing it here, one, I thought we would get, you know, enough money to actually pull this film off, you know, because when Vice first said they had some, you know, money from Italy that go towards, and I thought they were, you know, and I said, well, so how much, how much have you got? And they said, oh, like somewhere between 500,000 and, 500, and a, a million euros, and I'm like, we ain't pulling that film off for this, you know, like, you know, like I love the script too much to, to go yeah, let's try and do it for like a couple of million bucks. There's too many elements that I knew were complicated. Like it was complicated even with what we did get. Um, but also that feeling of, you know, making your first film in your hometown with people you know. Like, because making a movie is hard enough as it is, to have familiar faces around, like really makes a difference. Um, you know, there were so many crew that, that you'd worked with as an actor. That, like the crew just was so behind Mira all the mm. way. And, you know, that helps you get through tough days, right? Michelle, what was the hardest thing on set? I mean, you mentioned some of the things of why it was difficult and, you know, Mira was a first-time director, but what were the moving parts that you were most worried about um, when you went into it? And actually, maybe there was moving parts you should have worried more about when you went out of it, who knows? But um, we had... Look, we were... Fairly contained with the, the locations. Um, you know, Nash and I are working on something at the moment now that's got more locations than shoot days, and it's just crazy. So, with Judy and Punch, we were able to base ourselves um, a bit at locations, but um, I think it was very a very quick shoot. Mira had to make really quick, hard decisions, um, and I was just, you know, in awe of her being able to do that for the first. Uh, first feature. Um, as I was just about to say, we had the, the, we started off the shoot with Damon um, dealing with a, a dog that uh, didn't, like didn't <laughs> a dog that didn't like meat. No, it just <laughs> we That's we true. did all of the all of the training for it was it was fine. We were getting videos back. It was doing what it was supposed to do, and then on the day it wouldn't even sit on command or, you know, eat. I mean, this is a dog that is in a dog acting agency. Like, it's meant to be an acting dog. And it honestly couldn't follow the commands sit or stay. Like a normal dog, like anyone. We could have had anyone's dog, to be honest, and it would have done more. So the, all that stuff where I'm sitting at the table, you know, teasing it with the sausage. I mean, it's amazing that... Uh, congrats to Danny, the editor, Danny for, for putting, pulling that together. Cause, and that was all the first day as well. And the dog wouldn't sit, it wouldn't stay, and even with real sausage on the fork, it wouldn't eat, try and eat it. It didn't... All it wanted to do was walk away... 
on action. Action. Get up, walk off. Like, there's the sausage. No, what, didn't what's, kill what's amazing is when you look, if you look back at the film, like, because it was supposed to take these sausages and run off, it wouldn't do it. And then we had the idea to have, let's just get it up on the chair, at least it'll eat food off his plate. And there's all these sausages on there, and if you watch the film, he actually gets up there and eats the egg. Yeah. <laughs> and even and when... it was the baby. Yes, or just to finish off, even when... Uh, am I allowed to give away the sausages on the... <laughs> Even when the dog runs in to grab the bigger chain of sausages, the link of sausages later, it would, that was real sausages again, and it had done it in rehearsal at home apparently. But even then, it wouldn't pick up the sausages. So when you see the dog grab that link of sausages from the fireplace and run off the second time, it's tied to its collar. <laughs> And the, and the dog is running away mouth. from the sausages. The dog is running the from the sausages. So it, it's actually, yeah, it's right. the only time it did anything good because it was running really fast. Running fast. Like, well, fuck, it's like, I'm being chased by sausages. And the same first day, those adorable babies as twin babies, um, and... Uh, oh, they hated me so much, which is... which I mean, basically, whenever like they were put everybody in... everybody else. They whenever they were here. put in my... I mean, they, they, were, they could tell the character was a bad guy, and that's... Uh, but anyway, no, whenever the babies were put in my hands, they would just burst into tears, and... Which would have been fine if it was appropriate, but it, it would, it sort of, we didn't need it to be crying most of the time, and um, it was a... Yeah, it was a pretty tricky first day, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to throw it to you guys. We've got two roving mics, one each side, and I'm sure I will see them when I see them. Um, Damon, you have said in interviews that this is the best role you've ever done. Um, you have worked with Quentin Tarantino since. Do you still think that and why? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Damon? Well, it's <laughs> no, <pressure. laughs> no. It's definitely it's definitely the best role I've ever had the opportunity to play. But no, I mean, I don't think there's any question. Um, when I when I auditioned for it, I was absolutely convinced, without a doubt, that I wasn't actually auditioning for that role. I just w assumed that. It was sometimes directors use bigger roles in projects to audition smaller roles because there's more to play with in the audition. And I, I just thought that um, that's what was happening, you know, and that maybe Mary was trying to get an idea by seeing some friends for that role who she might ultimately end up casting. Um, so, yeah, when I read that role, I was like, oh, my God, this role is beyond any actor's wildest dreams. Um, and, yeah, but, I but why? couldn't... But why? Oh my god! Because it's just got so much in it. I mean, it, it you know, it's a a character who you know. Um, well, firstly, because it's so well written. You know, the script is so well written. The character is so well defined on the page. The dialogue is amazing, and that, that's that's something I really you know think is so important when you when you read a script and you're like, ah, I don't really know who that is. You know, like oh, they're in it a lot, but I don't know. I can't tell what I would do with that. Was with this, I read it, and I the character sort of jumped out from the page um there's so much you know there's 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 the comedy stuff there's the the violent stuff there's the um narcissism and the the charm and the self-obsession there's just so much going on and you just don't i certainly don't come across roles like that too often you know it was a uh, yeah one of the best days of my career life to get the call saying that i got that wrong was that okay, that answer, Mira? <laughs> that was a good answer, thank you. Um, the dialogue in the film is absolutely hilarious. And it's also, to me, so Australian. That's what I... I didn't notice it so much when I saw the film the first time, but today when I saw it, I just was, like, rolling around and it just felt so Aussie. And I wonder, was that... Was dialogue something you did from the beginning or was that something you kind of went back and really worked on at the later stages and who was it that you bounced it off the most? That was actually... Some, some of that stuff that I was talking about earlier, the panic of the first few weeks of just trying to get words on a page, actually a lot of that was, was dialogue because I love writing dialogue. I find it really fun. And, in fact, one of the first things I wrote was Punch's opening speech for the... the, the 
during the puppet show. And that kind of really never changed, actually. It was one of the first things I wrote when I, was, I didn't even know what it was, and that sort of stayed. Yeah, I, I find dialogue really fun. Um, it, it, for me, it's an interesting way into kind of character. Um, I, I, I rip stuff off from all over the place, um, kind of constantly. So, you know, um, um, and what was the other part of that question? Who did you bounce it off the most? Oh. Did you, you know... Yeah. In, in terms of who did I kind of um, get feedback on the script and yeah. whatnot? Well, um, first and foremost, it's, it's, it's always David, my partner, who um, who is... Um, we're really different filmmakers. Um, I think the, the sorts of things... We were different writers. Um, but I... Yeah, um, he's honest. I trust him. Um, he's got good taste and he's really funny. In fact, there's a bunch of stuff in there that's him. That literally is him, like lines of him helping yeah, me. No. And, you know. Let's take some um, questions. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I enjoy dialogue. I find it really fun. I just enjoy kind of playing with words and, and that sort of stuff. So, you know, it should be the, the, the bit at the very end, but for me I often start off with that. And for, for the tone of this, it was a way for me to kind of crack the, the tone with that theatrical dialogue. Yeah. Um, my question's from Mira. Um, could you talk a little bit about the score? Because... Even, you know, the script had such different tones in it. And, and then the, the score itself was so eclectic and spanned so many different eras and you kind of settled into something and then you jump into something else. And, but it totally worked. Um, yeah, I love yeah. the score. I, I, I'm so happy with the music in the film and it was really hard because I never felt like we cracked it when we had temp music on it in the cut mm. and I was a bit worried. I was like, oh, I don't know what this is. It's something very particular and it's something that's going to bridge the humour and the, and the darkness and it's got to be really bold and it's got to be interesting and there's a lot of it and I wanted there to be these big score pieces at the end like Damon's ridiculous kind of when, he's, when, when they're all on the gallows. It's sort of um, that, that, that big epic kind of overblown piece of music I knew there was going to be a lot of music. Um, and yeah, and so Frank uh, Titas, who composed uh, Nash's first film, The Square, Nash suggested that him and I meet. Oh, first of all, I think I, I gave him the script to read and he, um, he just sent through this big, long email full of ideas and some of them, like, really weird, eclectic stuff, a lot of, like, random covers, pop cut from pop to all over the place, um, historical music, not uh, weird instrumentation, and I just immediately thought, oh, this guy gets it. Like, he gets the sort of just how nuts it has to be. Um, and and some of those really early... Like, for example, he sent through on that first email a cover of that Leonard Cohen song, a really beautiful, weird Icelandic, I think it was, cover. Um, and, and I was like, oh, that's that's great. And we tried it and it didn't quite work. And then we're like, well, we'll just use Leonard if we can, which was great that we got to do that. But, uh, yeah, he he did a few days of recording, three, three days of recording here in Sydney. Um, we had like um, kid qu children's choirs and we had strings and it was such a fun part of it. He also has, he produces for um, Gautier, um, the musician from Melbourne, um, who had um, this big shed down near Phillip Island somewhere full of weird instruments that he's collected over many years. Like everything from rubber chickens to old moogs and organs and wind-up toys, like a whole plethora. So Frank went down and got all of that stuff and took it back up to his studio in Melbourne and... Um, and just started kind of playing around. I think he's great. I love the score so much. And there's so much weird instrumentation and there's a lot of gamelan and just, you know, the choir stuff's really beautiful. He talked about that opening cue as kind of like um, introducing us to the world of like like sport, like these screams and this idea that we're in this sort of like almost in a sporting arena and I really liked that. So it just felt like he got it really early on and I felt like he was the right person to make the music. Congratulations on you to your great performances and, yeah, really loved it. Wasn't sure how you could make a film about Punch and Judy, so I didn't know what to expect. Mine's a really trivial question, but I just loved the footage over behind the closing credits. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I wish you hadn't said that about locations before the screening, Sandy, because I spent a lot of time looking for gum trees. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was probably <laughs> a bad... <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. But tell me about the closing footage credit. It's just magic. Isn't it fantastic? And, you know, that was actually shot in Bondi Junction in the 1930s, weirdly oh. enough, and it was the best footage that I could find. And I always knew from the very first draft I had that in as, as, as closing it with um, archival footage because I liked this idea of how, you, you know, you end on punch with, with his demented hand puppets and a couple of kids sit down and go, oh, that's interesting. And I liked the idea of then going, and this is the story that history remembered and this is how it was carried through. So, um, I yeah, I was kind of looking for a whole bunch. And we had a, we had a bunch of different various... Um, samples didn't we MB and then we decided that that stuff was so good because what it does is you get those kids reactions and it's it's exactly like the character Rodney Goodbuckle the town drunk who Mia passes in the street and he's he's talking about laughter and tears and that kind of you know and that's exactly what I see in those kids faces it's like they don't know whether to cry or laugh and they're so confused and it kind of for me you know was a nice sort of way to 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 round off all of those those thematics around. It's a lovely experience all around. Thank, Thank you. you. Hi, um, I really loved the film. It was super entertaining. Um, this is kind of a question for everyone, whoever wants to answer. I'd really like to know what the key learnings were that you took away from making the film. <laughs> I, I could go on about this for hours. <laughs> I learned so much. I mean, I, I, I literally don't even know where to start. I mean, so I, I, on one hand, everyone was sort of saying to me, oh, don't worry, it's fine. It's just, like a, it's just like making a short, but it goes longer. And it's just it's the same thing. It's not. <laughs> it's like a thousand times harder. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, lots of technical stuff for me. I, I haven't been to film school, so I, I'd never done a VFX shop before in my life. I'd never worked in that, with that size kind of crew as a director. I've been on sets as an actor before, but um, yeah, I learned a lot about that. I learned a lot about what I think going forward my needs as a director are and what I'd like to kind of put in place very early on in a project about how I would like um, just, you know, things about how I like to work. I kind of discovered a lot of that about myself. What did you learn, Nash? I learned, uh, you know, this was the first film I'd been on uh, just as a producer, not, you know, like I'd produced stuff that I'd directed. Um, but one of the key things I, I learned, you know, as a director, you think you know everything that's going on. And then while you're shooting, there's like like hundreds of problems that are happening that the production team are like solving while you're shooting. And uh, even during pre-production, you know, like, and because Mira and I are friends, you know, we'd ride back after work or catch a train or go to get some food or whatever, and I would just say stuff, you know, like something that happened that I just assumed she knew, and, uh, and I would upset her. And, um, and then the next day I'd be talking to Michelle, and she's like, I've got to work out how to tell Mira about blah, 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 and I'd be like, oh, um, yeah, and I told her that. So why'd you tell her that? I haven't, like, you know, I had a few other ideas of how I was going to solve it, and I was like, oh, okay, and then, you know, we kind of had a, a very you know, chat, uh, chat about how it works, you know. And I went, oh, and I suddenly, like, found myself, like, well, thanking her for everything she's done for me before and calling other producers I work for and realising how much stuff gets solved, like, before. And that you only get told as a director when there's a real problem, when they've already tried all the solutions. And Michelle is very great at... She doesn't just bring you the problem. She brings you... Tells you what the problem is and says, these are some options of solutions, you know, and that was an amazing, as a, you know, someone learning about producing was an amazing thing to learn and, and how, you know, because, uh, you know, like you go to a festival uh, as a director and the, the film, you know, the audience, everything about the filmmaker, which, you know, as a director is really fun, you know, especially if people like your movie um, and the producers, you know, uh, do their thing, and I suddenly just had this newfound respect for, you know, Michelle and other producers I worked for before and went, okay, um, so much goes on that I don't know about, and I, you know, and I'm in the middle, of, we're in the middle of doing something right now, and, you know, I get hints of it, but I know the hints I'm getting, it's way worse than what I'm hearing, you know? <laughs> that was something I learned. Yeah, we've got to have a chat this afternoon about something, actually. <laughs> um... Uh, I, th I think there's something that you learn every film, and that's 
one of the things I love about filmmaking is there's there's always something unexpected. There's a, a challenge that you've never come up against before, and um, and you know it just to keep it's just really stimulating to to always have those things um, presented. So otherwise, it just you know it it's never never becomes a job. It's always um, a, a, you know something that's very challenging, and. I always learn something from every director that I um, work with it's, and I'm always, you know, inspired by the focus and, you know, I've got to remind myself not to get frustrated about certain things, you know, if something's taking longer or costing more, there's usually um, a process behind it that you have to hear and, and uh, hear out and respect first of all. Um, but yeah, there's always something to learn. I'm not entirely sure what I learnt, but I think maybe just that reinforces that sense of making films is really unpredictable. And um, again and again you learn that there's no formula to it that happens again and again, just every time it's a completely different world. Um, and the more you can sort of accept that from the beginning and relax into whatever craziness and chaos it is, which is not your instinct to relax in that situation, that the more you kind of, that you get a benefit from it, if you know what I mean, or you learn to ride the madness of making movies because it's not natural. <laughs> Never work with babies or dogs. <laughs> Hi, this is for Mira. Um, as I'm going to be making my own short film soon, I was wondering, how do you make that jump from screenwriting to directing? Like, actually, like, how do you direct your actors, telling them, um, you know, how to act out your script in the way that you wanted them to do that? Uh, I, I think practice. You just practice and practice as much as you can. I think. I mean, I was lucky because I come from an acting background, so I had a sense of what I like as as an actor, how I how I like to um, be directed, what I don't like. Uh, you know, any chance you can get to be on sets that aren't your own, I think, are really beneficial to just kind of be there and observe how other directors work. Uh, but there's no right or wrong way, and I think the more you do it, the easier it is. Um, and then just read Judith Weston's book, Directing Actors, which is really good. <laughs> Um, I'm curious, how do you make something set in the 17th century about puppeteers feel current and contemporary? Did you start off with just the revenge story of uh, Judy gets her revenge on Punch, or then like add in social messaging that while you're writing it, you're thinking, shit, this is stuff that's still facing women, whether it's marginalization from society or domestic violence? Yeah, I mean, that's a scary thing because it's all still so relevant. It's like you can kind of, you know, it, it, even the crazy stuff, like the witchy stuff. I mean, there's countries all over the world where women are getting stoned to death for, for being witches. So it sort of felt, I don't know, it felt inevitable. Um, I, um, I didn't sort of say, it was always going to be, um, you know, a feminist revenge piece for lack of a better just because of the nature of the history of the of the story it had to be about Judy and it had to be her story and then everything else kind of just I don't know fell in peppered into place and then as certain characters evolved um like for example Mr Frankly the, the character that Tom Budge plays you start to get a parallel that you like and you go oh there's another kind of lunatic um you know um uh, that's on the telly all the time that I can reference to try, you know. So then the kind of contemporary parallels just filter through, I guess, if that answers your question. Uh, hi, um, my question is for Mira. So you were talking before about how Judy, like the film was always about her and the feminist revenge plot. So there aren't many um, action movies out there with women as the main uh, protagonist. So I was wondering what kind of movies you drew, you drew inspiration from, like if it was Kill Bill or something else. It's interesting. I mean, those were the sorts of films that Vice were mentioning early on when we were talking. They were like, you know, we want to kick ass, sort of, yeah, Kill Bill was, um, was, was often mentioned. Um, I don't know that I drew any particular inspiration from any particular action movies as such. I think there's probably a lot of films that, that sit 
as an influence for me that I'm not even really kind of conscious of. Um, films that I really loved um, when I was younger. Um, yeah, I mean, stuff that references the humour or the tone or the kind of world-building things. Um, you know, as an example, and Nash and I are both big fans of A Princess Bride and I think that's probably the sort of film that subconsciously just, like, filters in there all the time. It's kind of, you know... Um, but not necessarily any action... action movies um yeah um there's a whole bunch of different inspiration but but also i really wanted to feel it, it to feel like nothing else as well i wanted to feel like no other kind of film so i was sort of avoiding trying to reference anything too specifically i think firstly congratulations one thing i just wanted to say is that from watching it last night, something that stood out to me, and I could be completely off the mark, but I felt a real sense of joy kind of radiating off the screen of everybody involved. And I guess that's coming from the actors, but um, I always feel like you can tell when people are really on board with something, like you're on the same page, and that was very apparent to me. So congratulations to all of you. Um, Mira, I'm really interested to know with your craft and your history as an actor, then moving into screenwriting, it's a big leap to go from a short film to a feature or maybe an intimidating one. I'm not sure if you felt that. Um, but I'm curious to know who, what you recognise in yourself now completing a feature that maybe you didn't know about yourself before. Like what qualities or something? Is there anything that you go, fuck, I'm that person now? <laughs> mm. It's an interesting question. I, yeah, weirdly. Um, there were... There was a sense of... Um, even though it was really tough and I found the shoot really traumatic and I don't think I was having fun. I think everyone else was having fun, which was good. And there was, we, you know, we really tried. We had a great um, um, crew and cast assembled and good people, like good, kind, energised, great people. We were lucky. It was a really nice energy, I think, on set. Um, but I had no idea how I would feel, how I would feel in terms of a sense of um, um, finding my authority on set. Um, after that dreaded day one where we basically couldn't use anything that we shot because of the dog that was scared of me and the baby that hated Damon. Um, I was so determined not to cry in front of my crew on that day. I thought, and it wasn't just about, um, uh, I don't want to be embarrassed here. It was like, I, I, you know, you, people need to trust you. They need to trust that you are steering this ship. No one knows what the hell they're doing, I realise. And I speak to... I find it really comforting when I speak to, you know, directors that have made a bunch of films that I think are fantastic and they're like, I'm terrified, I don't know what I'm doing. So there's some... There's, like, really... There's a comfort in that. But I think also you need to maintain a sense of calm um, and a sense of clarity um, and, and being able to be decisive. And... And I, I felt like I could do that, and I didn't expect to be able to do that. And so, um, does that answer your question? I learnt, I learnt that actually that's in me somewhere. It's not my natural way of being in the world, but um, in there somewhere was was a sort of a, a authoritative calm. I think relatively calm, not always calm. It was it was amazing on the day you know day one, like you know, and I've known Mira a long time, and I could tell she's like ready to cry and just wants to go home. And then someone from the crew came up to ask her about something the next day, and she's just there, just looking at them, answering the question. You know, I think I had to point we're asking her about stuff, and she's like, "Yep," and she's just giving them the answers and, and like just fully held it together, and then would have got in the car and gone, <laughs> <laughs> but no one else would have known. You, madam, have the last question. Oh, I don't know if it's a fantastic one. I thought the movie was so good and so clever. I loved that um, our lovely Judy, you know, I was thinking, oh, my God, what's she going to do, what's she going to do? But to leave the hands there, like to cut that off and then, you know, punch, like, <clears throat> I just loved it. And it wasn't, what I loved too, like even though there was lots of violence, it wasn't um, like you beautiful Judy, like always good, loving, kind. And even at the end, you gave Punch a chance to redeem himself. I just thought that was brilliant writing, Mira, just absolutely brilliant, so clever. So now I'm raving on about this movie and I'm going to be raving on about it at work on Tuesday and to all my friends. How are they going to see this? I want them to see you guys, the actors. I want them to see you 
the director, the writer. So what's going to happen? <laughs> That's great. And tell, tell, tell everyone about it because it is a great film. Um, uh, our distributor here is Madman. Um, so we're wrapped that they're going to be distributing the film. And I don't know if I'm supposed to say when. So uh, it'll be soon. <laughs> it'll be soon, but not too soon. No, it'll be this year. Um, and uh, probably a similar time frame um, in the UK and, and in the States. First, first of all, theatrical release. Not very specific. <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the converted and you guys have all seen it, but I, I think every filmmaker feels this way about their film. But I think seeing this film, especially in a cinema, with other, like just being able to feed off other people's um, audible emotional responses is really great. So if you can, encourage people, if you like, to, to go and see it when, when it comes out. And I hope it gets a, a bit... It's tricky at the moment. Like, you know, it's hard for any film at the moment, especially a, a tonally unusual kind of odd beast like this one. But, yeah, encourage um, people you know to go and see it if you liked it. They're all legends. Please thank them for being here. Thank you for listening to Reverse Shot. For more news about this week's guest, plus where to watch their films, visit sff.org.au. And tune in next time for another special presentation from Sydney Film Festival's archives. <laughs>